It was John Calvin, the famous French reformer of the 16th century, we associate him with the town of Geneva, who said that the Lord offers to us the weapons for repelling every kind of attack, and yet it remains for us to apply them to use and not to leave them simply hanging on the wall. Friends, you know, a wise warrior does not go into battle ill-prepared. So this morning, we've come to the middle message in this three, the short three-part series at the end of what was, interestingly enough, John Calvin's favorite book of the Bible, that is, the letter of Ephesians, and to a sort of weapons check, a spiritual inspection this morning of the armor of God from Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 13. This weaponry that the heavenly sovereign has given to us, each of us as Christians, as we do battle here on earth. Just as a side note, I discovered this morning that John Knox, the uh, famous um, Scottish uh, Puritan and and reformer, uh, asked that John Calvin's sermons on Ephesians be read as he was dying. There at his bedside. He took, just loved Calvin's words on Ephesians that much. Well, anyway, in part one, as we looked at last week, you may recall that we argued the case, and I think it's pretty straightforward, concerning the reality of spiritual warfare. It was a pretty simple point last night. We are at war. There is a spiritual battle raging around us. From the text, Ephesians 6, verse 10, note again what Clay read for us just moments ago where Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Finally, or henceforth, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Here's the second command. Put on the armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is the reality of spiritual warfare. The Apostle Paul effectively wrote these words to sleepy or, or uh, yeah, sleepy soldiers of the cross to the reality of great cosmic and spiritual battle raging in their and our time. Are you asleep this morning? Well, you need to be awakened to the fact that there is a battle nearby. Are you ready and prepared? The second thing we looked at last week is who are we at war with? Not only the reality, but also the enemy, which is Satan himself. As Paul points out, we are not at war against flesh and blood. That's a biblical way of saying against other human beings. But rather, we are at war with the prince of the power of the air himself. Go all the way back to Ephesians 2 verse 2 to see that. Our combat is ultimately against cosmic forces. It is against demonic powers. It is against satanically allied and inspired, even provincial rulers and authorities, against counterfeit religions, against uh, empty philosophies, against false teachers. And again, last Sunday we noted that we as Christians are to wise up to Satan's wiles because he is coming after us. We are to stand up, therefore, to his diabolical schemes and strategies, and we noted four of them last week, his scheme of accusation, his scheme of deception, his scheme of temptation, and his scheme of persecution or affliction. 
Because Satan is hell-bent on deceiving, distracting, dividing, or destroying the church of Jesus. But friends, he will not win. Because not only are we at war, Christ the risen King is at war today for us. The good shepherd himself said in John 10 verse 10, this was my favorite verse as a little one. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. That's our good shepherd who laid his life down for us, his sheep. And this is why, as Peter, one of Jesus' first disciples, reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 2, we are to be sober-minded. We are to be watchful, for our adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. If you are a Christian here this morning, then you are a soldier of the cross. And as a soldier of the cross, you need to be arrayed for battle. Well, listen, today as we prepare to undergo a careful and close inspection of this six-piece set of supernaturally provided armor for every believer, I want to first ask you the question, what was Paul's grand inspiration behind this analogy of the armor of God? What was What prompted this for Paul? Have you ever thought about that? In answering this question, I want to give you three, what I believe are three levels of inspiration for Paul and the armor of God. And the first was Paul's own personal experience in spiritual warfare. Paul is not simply um, an armchair apostle. He knew what it was like to go to the mat with the enemy. Paul wrote to his pastoral protege, a man by the name of Timothy, who coincidentally would go on to pastor the church there in Ephesus after Paul was martyred. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, he says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. Notice that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Paul knew that Timothy would face war because Paul himself had faced the spiritual battle with the devil. Likewise, in his second letter to that same special son in the faith, Paul says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. Paul had fought the good fight of faith, 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. Listen, for the better part of nearly two decades, the Apostle Paul had personally experienced what he described in 1 Corinthians 11 as great labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often being near death. He goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, saying, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, 
often without food, in cold and exposure. And when this wasn't uh, enough to nearly kill him, the church was glad to step in and help. He says, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul knew the battle. In fact, the Apostle Paul was the James Bond of the early first century. Paul could write about the armor of God because he had worn the armor of God. He is no armchair apostle. He knew the weight and the feel. He knew the limitations and the reach of the armor of God. And so he describes it for us. But there's another source of inspiration behind Paul's vision of the armor of God. And this is what I would call Paul's contextual inspiration. His cultural insight into the importance of armor for any wise and ready warrior. Let me ask you, where was Paul when he wrote the letter of Ephesians? You should know that. In Acts chapter 28, verse 16, we read, And when he came to Rome in chains, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And then a few verses later, Acts 28, verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Yes, Ephesians is one of four prison epistles, along with Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. Paul wrote these letters in the early 60s AD from Roman incarceration. And for me, I can just picture Paul sitting there at his table in this rented place, looking up from his desk with pen in hand to see the strong silhouette of a battle-tested Roman soldier standing over him. And as he does so, I think the Spirit of God prompted this apostle's keen mind to make this masterful analogy between a Roman soldier and a soldier of the cross. Paul looks at this soldier and he says, well, there's a fitting analogy for what it looks like to put on Jesus. And so he takes up his pen and he puts it to parchment and says, therefore, fellow soldiers of the cross, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I think Paul was looking at a soldier as he wrote these words. Just as a Roman soldier wouldn't dare to report for duty half-dressed or out of uniform, Neither should the successful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ fail to put on the armor of God when there's an enemy at the door. And notice we hear both both Paul's own past and Paul's present vision gave inspiration to this incredible illustration of the armor of God. But there's one final bit of inspiration that I think is actually the, the most significant bit of inspiration here. And this is what I would call Paul's biblical inspiration behind the armor of God. See, we need to remember that before Paul was a preacher, he was a Pharisee. That means Paul was an expert in the Bible. 
Paul sat at the feet of one of Israel's greatest teachers, a man by the name of Gamaliel, before he sat at the feet of the risen Jesus to learn truly the way of God. Paul then was a scholar of Scripture, one uniquely prepared to be an apostle and an author of Scripture. And listen, I believe that even more than Paul's own experience with warfare or even Paul's eyesight with a Roman soldier standing just feet away from him, it was Paul's own spiritual insight into this Messiah warrior and his spiritual armor that prompted Paul to pen these very words. See, Paul rooted every Christian's battle for God in the story of God's mighty battle for us. We can take up the armor because God has fought the battle for us in Christ. Consider just for a moment the relevance of the following bits of revelation from the Old Testament about God himself as the warrior and mighty Messiah and champion arrayed in brilliant battle armor on behalf of his people. Just recall the song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15. Exodus 15 verse 3 alone will say, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord, Yahweh, is his name. You could actually go to many different places to see God as a warrior for us. Or what of David, the sweet singer of Israel, who was also the champion who defeated Goliath before he reigned as king. And Psalm 18 says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. All of these are military terms. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. And then just a few moments later, the same Psalm of King David declares in verses 37 and following, I pursued my enemies. And overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. And they fell under my feet. How? Well, David tells us how. For you, O sovereign, equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under my feet. We can fight because God fights for us and God supplies us with spiritual armor. But it appears to me at least that in particular it's the book of Isaiah that helps to fill in some of the spiritual context behind this incredible analogy of the armor of God. Taking some of the clearest examples in canonical order through the book of Isaiah, just listen to these references and maybe jot them down this morning. Isaiah 11 verse 5 says, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, speaking of Jesus, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. I think Paul is hearkening back in 700 years earlier to Isaiah when he's writing about the belt of truth that you and I are to wear. Or what of Isaiah 49 verse 2, speaking of that servant of the Lord, Jesus, where it declares, He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He hid me in a, a polish. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And again, Isaiah 52, verse 7, perhaps the most familiar of all of these uh, prophecies or, or words from Isaiah. How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who bring good news. 
who publishes peace, who, pro- who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And then finally culminating in Isaiah 59 and verse 17 where the writer says, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Do you understand these three levels of inspiration behind the armor of God that maybe you haven't thought about before? Paul's own experience, his own eyesight with a Roman soldier in front of him, and especially the Messiah warrior, Jesus himself, and Paul's insight from the Old Testament into the risen king who had changed his life. Paul wants us this morning as readers to understand, and this is the whole point of today's message, understand this, if you get nothing else, get this, that for us to win the spiritual battle in our day, we must put on the very uniform of Christ and his victory over death, over sin, and over the grave. Because as believers in the Lord Jesus, listen to me, we do not fight today for victory. We fight today from victory. We fight today from the victory of King Jesus. We are to put on not just the armor of God. We are to put on Christ himself. Every bit of shiny armor and brass points us to the one who bled and died for us. Paul says it as much in Romans chapter 13. Just look quickly at Romans 13 verses 12 to 14. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. If you have not adorned yourself by faith with the righteousness and the righteous work of Jesus, you are exposed and you will be defeated as a follower of God. We must put on Christ. Someone said salvation, however gratuitous, that means however free, is not to be obtained without great effort. It is not grace or our works. It is God's grace leading unto good works, as Ephesians 2.10 says. Or as the writer John the Apostle says in 1 John 5, 4 and 5, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So don't misunderstand Paul's point with the armor of God. It begins, and I would almost say ends as well, with the word faith. Put on in faith the person of Christ. Look, God has provided a sharp-looking uniform for spiritual warfare that all of us as Christians are meant to, to wear. However, Church, we wear this uniform in spiritual union with King Jesus. 
In other words, it's not just the belt of truth that we are to put on. We are to put on Christ's belt of truth to gird up our garments that we might not sin by giving in to the lies of the devil. We're going to look at that in just a moment. We are to put on Christ's righteousness as a breastplate to protect our hearts spiritually against the arrows and accusations and even the insinuations of Satan himself. We are to put on, we are to put on Christ's peace as footwear, firmly planted upon the promises of God that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We are to put on Christ's faith as a shield against the onslaught of spiritual forces, the world, the flesh, and the devil, which would like nothing more than to defeat us, divide us, discourage us, and destroy us. We are to put on Christ's salvation as a helmet, taking every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. And finally, we are to take up Christ's very word, the sword of the Spirit, the word of God as the lone offensive weapon with which we can reclaim the spiritual territory annexed by Satan's evil kingdom through the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. Listen, as believers in Christ, as brothers and sisters in the church, we, are, we don't just do this on behalf of Christ. We do this in the power of Christ. Paul says in Philippians 1.21, for, I, for me to live is Christ. Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Put on Jesus. Well, today as we move from this threefold inspiration now to a six-piece, six-point inspection of the armor of God. We need to note the purpose or the objective behind God's provision of this armor. You know, uh, we've learned in recent years of the, the real damage of CTE. Maybe you've heard of CTE, which is chronic traumatic encephalopathy. I worked on that all week. Encephalopathy. That's a progressive brain condition caused by repeated blows to the head or by repeated episodes of concussions. It's the reason why helmets like this one right here come with a warning label not intended for use in sports. Well, listen, we're going to put this on right now. It would not be a bright idea for me this afternoon to go down to Philadelphia down to join the Philadelphia Eagles as they take the Jacksonville Jaguars on. It would not be very bright of me to go and say, hey, hey, Coach Sirianni, I'm ready to get in the game. Just, just put me in. Jalen, he's not feeling well today. Put me in the game, Coach. It would not be a very bright idea. Why? This is a toy helmet, friends. This is a toy helmet. It is meant for pretend. It's meant for, for make-believe. It's meant for dress-up. It's not meant for the real battle. Kind of hot in that helmet, I'll be honest with you. All right, I'm going to stay with this microphone just because I don't care about that mic. Paul says that as believers, we are to put on the whole armor of God, not just play around with it, not just put on toys. We are to put on the whole armor of God, including the helmet of salvation, because the devil wants to take us out up here. Plastic toys don't protect from powerful blows. 
And I think too many of us in the church have played around with the armor of God. We think it's kind of cute. It's maybe meant for children. No, this is a lifeline for you and for me. The devil is not playing with us. He's not playing with us. Therefore, we cannot afford to play around with him. Now, we're almost there. Bear with me. Maybe you noticed last week, and then again this week as Clay read, and as I read the scripture, that there's a repetition of the word stand. Did you notice that? It's the key word, I believe, in this section. After telling us the point of putting on the whole armor of God is that we may be able to take our stand against the schemes of the devil. In verse 11, Paul goes on to repeat it three additional times in verses 13 and verse 14. The word stand is actually drawn right out of military use. It is a term meant for holding a key position against enemy forces. And so the Apostle Paul is calling us up as Christians. He's saying, rise up and stand up in the purpose of putting on the spiritual armor of God that you may withstand the attack of the evil one in the evil day. Again, friends, pardon the silly illustration with pulling out that helmet. I only play with it a couple times a week. It's okay. It is no game. This is not a game. This is not child's play. This is life and death, spiritual combat with a fierce and formidable foe. This is Paul's point. Either we will stand together united in God's strength or we will fall left alone and vulnerable on our own. There is no middle ground. So let's finish off our message this morning with a six-point inspection of the armor of God, shall we? Well, first, of course, there is the belt of truth. Paul points firstly to the belt of truth, and I would submit to you that the belt of truth is that piece of the armor that enables us to avoid getting tripped up by Satan's lies and schemes. One commentator likened the belt of truth to Batman's utility belt uh, in modern comic book vernacular. It's that piece of the armor that seems to secure all the other bits of armor. Just think about it for a moment. Again, I I had fun this week thinking through this message as Paul glances up from his table and maybe even looks at that Roman guard standing over him. I think maybe the first thing that he sees is the belt of truth. He looks up and he sees the Roman soldier and he sees perhaps at eye level the Roman soldier's leather belt. Understand that in Bible times, a Roman soldier would would wear a wool tunic under his armor. This tunic would would, uh, hang loosely, and it was the leather belt that would actually hold it snug to the person's frame. This leather belt also would protect from enemy cuts and and scrapes. And so for Paul, the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ begin to suit up in their spiritual warfare by buckling up with the belt of truth. It's maybe the last thing we would put on today because we have trousers and shirts and shoes and we put on our belt last, but a spiritual warrior puts on the belt of truth first. Just remember what Paul had said a couple of chapters earlier to the Ephesians that we are to put off the old self and to put on the new self. Just as they were taught in Christ because, notice what he said in Ephesians 4.21, because the truth is in Jesus. The belt of truth. The truth is in Jesus. 
Again, in a similar way, brothers and sisters, putting on the belt of truth helps us to avoid getting tripped up by the devil's evil tactics. And besides, remember, remember back to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5, that God's Messiah wears a belt of righteousness and a belt of faithfulness. Therefore, as Messiah's servants, as Messiah's soldiers who run the race of faith, we are commanded to lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely. And we are to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our champion became sin, triumphing over sin on the cross in order that we by faith might stand against sin in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing we must do is put on that belt of truth. The second piece of armor that Paul surveys here is what he describes as the breastplate of righteousness. This I describe as that piece of armor that protects us from the arrows and again the accusations of Satan. Isaiah 59 verse 17 again said that the the Messiah, God's Messiah, would put on righteousness as a breastplate. Well, so too does the Christian put on the breastplate of righteousness, not just his or her righteousness. No, we have no righteousness on our own. We put on the righteousness of Christ. And how do we do that except through faith in the gospel of Jesus, through our confidence and trust in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ as the only grounds of our justification before Almighty God. Again, I imagine Paul sitting there at his table and his eyes glance up from the belt to the breastplate. This impressive piece of uh, protection, armament, covered both the front and the back of a soldier from just below the neck to just above the hips. Well, similarly, friends, for the child of God, it is the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that covers, that guards our vital organs, our hearts, our bowels from the piercing insinuations and arrows of the adversary. If we don't have the breastplate of his righteousness, we are exposed to enemy attacks. I think of 1 John chapter 3, verse 19 and following. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we have kept his commandments and do what pleases him. And we love Martin Luther's famous anthem, A mighty fortress is our God that proclaims, And though this world with devils filled shall threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness, Graham, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. It is Christ, and it is the righteousness of Christ, and again, not your or my own righteous acts or deeds, which covers and protects us from Satan's sinister schemes. Are you clothed in the perfect righteousness by faith this morning? 
If not, you are fatally exposed to his arrows. The third bit of armor is the shoes shod by the gospel of peace. And these shoes are what anchor us, thirdly, against the onslaught of Satan and his wicked minions. Now, one of the great advantages, if you study ancient history a little bit, of the Roman soldier was actually the nail-studded shoes uh, called the caliga that they would wear into battle. Today, we would liken these to an athlete's cleats that you would wear out on the gridiron field or on the baseball diamond. These ancient soldier's shoes enabled them to travel swiftly in pursuit of fleeing forces or even to stand firmly against the enemy onslaught. Now, to me, as I've thought more and more this week in this study, even more than the idea of us as the church taking the gospel to the nations, which is certainly a justifiable understanding based on Isaiah 52, verse 7, I think the image of the Christian soldier having shoes fitted and readied by the gospel that brings peace conveys the idea of sure-footedness. We have a firm foundation underneath us through belief in the gospel of Christ. Recall Isaiah 26, verse 3. Again, a familiar verse to some. You keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Again, Paul's point is that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is, by submitting to God, we can actually have success in resisting the devil and standing firm against him. For in Christ there is therefore now no condemnation for those who love the Lord, Romans 8. One, I know sometimes we often overlook our footwear, but in the spiritual battle, we must not overlook our footwear. We must have our feet shod with a gospel of peace that we can take a firm stand together against the devil. The fourth piece of armor is described as the shield of faith. And I would submit to you, even as Paul uses this language, the shield of faith is that piece of armor that extinguishes all the flaming darts of the evil one which are aimed at us and against us. Now, maybe this is kind of a violent movie, I know, but the movie 300, some of you might have seen that movie at one point a number of years ago. If you've seen that movie, when you hear about a shield of faith, you might have from that time period a, a smaller circular um, uh, shield that a soldier would have in front of them, but you'd be wrong. The Roman shield is called a scutus or scutum, and it was a different bit of armor than that. It wasn't circular. It was actually covered a soldier from head to toe. It was a huge piece of armor used as a shield. It was actually wooden that would, uh, it would protect the entire soldier. They were typically covered in animal skin, several layers thick, and even, I've heard, drenched with water so that when the fiery darts would come from enemy forces, which at that time they were bound to come, it would extinguish the dart or the arrow that would come against you. Well, the point for Paul is that in the Christian faith, we must fight together. And our faith is what shields us. Not just shielding me. My faith is helpful in shielding you. These shields were that large. Like the other defensive weapons mentioned already, the shield of faith protects us from the onslaughts of Satan, extinguishing his accusations, his deceptions, his distractions, and even persecutions before they even get to us. Without faith, the writer of Hebrews says, it is impossible to please God. Are your shields 
up, church. Well, fifth, the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation is that piece that guards our minds against the deceptions of the devil. It's notable that Paul says over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or we are asleep, we, may, we might live for him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. The helmet of salvation, brothers and sisters, is that that guards our confidence, our confidence in the hope of eternity. Because the devil would like nothing more than to get you to doubt the word of God, doubt God's sufficiency and his goodness for you. As Christians who have put on the helmet of salvation, we set our minds fully on what is to come fully on the hope that is to be revealed to us at the return of Christ. You know, it wasn't wise, just like it's not wise today, for a modern soldier to take off his helmet in battle. It was not wise for an ancient soldier to do so in the heat of battle as well. Let's keep our helmets on as we engage in spiritual warfare today. And the fifth, the sixth, excuse me, the sixth and final bit of armor is the sword of the Spirit. Paul says, this is the word of God, even explains it for us. It defends us from the thrusts of Satan and his wicked schemes. The particular word used by Paul here does not refer to what we might think of as an English broadsword, a, a huge sweeping sword, but rather it's a more of a dagger, a small wielding knife that one would use for hand-to-hand combat. This again is both an offensive and defensive weapon. Just as the Lord Jesus Christ countered Satan's temptations in the wilderness. Think of that in Matthew chapter 4, for example, by quoting scripture. So too is the Christian prepared for battle by studying to present himself as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, who rightly handles the word of truth. Our Awana children should know that verse, 2 Timothy 2, 15. We do this because the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Think about this. The Christian who neglects to study the Word of God allows his spiritual sword to become dull and ineffective against the wiles and strategies of Satan. However, the soldier of Christ who sharpens and attends to the Word of God is a powerful and skilled warrior, a mature and complete man and woman of God, equipped for every good work, according to 2 Timothy 3, verse 17. So again, we have the six pieces of the armor of God, the belt of truth to keep us from tripping over Satan's lies, the breastplate of righteousness to protect our hearts from Satan's many attacks and accusations, the shoes readied by the gospel of peace so that we can have a firm footing and take our stand against the devil and his advance. The shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts that come against us. The helmet of salvation to guard our minds against deception. And the sword of the Spirit to both defend and attack with the wisdom that comes from God. The English Puritan William Gurnall said that the Christian's armor decays in two ways. 
either by violent attack when the Christian is overcome by temptation to sin or else by neglecting to furbish or scour it with the use of those means which are the oil to keep it clean and bright. Brothers and sisters, let's put on the armor of Christ. As Paul said in Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. I simply ask you today as I close, are you clothed with Christ? Do you have the spiritual of God, armor of God on? Would your life as a soldier pass inspection this morning? Have you taken up the whole armor, the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, and the sword? Or are you left vulnerable to Satan and his attack? Let's bow in prayer. Almighty and gracious God and Father, we, we know the realities here. We feel them each and every week if we are seeking to strive and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, this morning we have simply been reminded that you have given us a uniform. And that uniform in each and every part proclaims the righteous work and victory of Jesus. May we be found faithful, being clothed in his righteousness, armed with faith. In Jesus, to do battle, Lord, with any enemy force. These are the armaments that you have provided for us. We praise you, Lord, for them. We thank you for these reminders of their purpose. Lord, would you be pleased in the week that commences even today to help us fight the good fight of faith together effectively for you. Thank you for the provision. Thank you for all that you've done for us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.